Exploring the intersection of medicine, sports, and pop culture. This is the Doctors Are People Too podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Josh Belfer. Welcome back to the podcast. One of the best things about having this podcast is the people I've been able to interact with. It's been great hearing from listeners of the show who share their interest in the topics we've covered and even have suggested guests for future episodes. Last week's guest, Tiffany Moon, was actually suggested by a listener. And by the way, if you haven't listened to Dr. Moon's episodes, be sure to do that ASAP. The other group of people I've been able to get to know has been physician podcasters just like myself. I've been able to interact with a lot of other doctors who have also embraced the podcasting space. We've been able to share stories of our experiences, along with a few tips and tricks along the way. Our guest today is one of my fellow physician podcasters. When I got to know Dr. Julie LaBarba, she was so interesting that I knew I had to have her on the pod. Dr. LaBarba is, like me, a fellow pediatrician. She's a mother of four, and in her words, feels like she's on call 24-7, no matter what the arrangement. On today's episode, Dr. LaBarba shares her interesting journey into medicine and how she used her experiences as a physician and a mother to start the Paging Dr. Mom podcast. It's a great listen, even if you're not a mother, and I will include a link to the podcast in the show notes for today's episode. I think you're really going to enjoy my discussion with Dr. LaBarba, and for my fellow physician podcasters, be sure to reach out. We'd love to have you on the Doctors or People 2 podcast. Dr. Julie LaBarba, welcome to the Doctors or People 2 podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. What a blast to be on here. Absolutely. We like to start all of our conversations with this question. What is your typical morning routine? Typical morning routine? Well, I have four children. One is at university. So a typical morning routine is just getting everybody out the door. So we get up about 645 and I've got three boys. So it's kind of like a feeding trough situation. They come in the kitchen. My husband's real helpful in the morning too. I'm lucky that one of my teenagers drives the other two to school. So my mornings have gotten easier and easier these days. That is nice. I'm sure still very hectic with all the boys in the house. <laughs> Grand Central Station fraternity. We, uh, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, as we were talking about a few minutes ago before we came on, you're a fellow pediatrician. So would you tell us a little bit about your path to medicine and how you settled on pediatrics? Yes, thank you for asking. You know, I majored in college in human and organizational development in French, and I went abroad and I actually taught school in France and decided to go to med school after that. I started over with my post-bac courses and worked in a lab and tutored other kids and rode my bike up to another university near my house and kind of took the MCAT and was lucky enough to get in on the first try. I always say it was divine intervention, like God wanted me to get into med school because <laughs> I was really non-math, non-science person. I just really always had wanted to go to med school. I signed up for classes at Vanderbilt where I went to undergrad and my stomach hurt so badly in my chemistry class. I was like, this is never going to happen. And I have written in a journal somewhere that's, well, that doctor thing isn't going to work out. So who knew that later on I would get to go back and, and do it. So my parents were gracious enough to let me boomerang back into their home and ended up going to school for med school. And then in terms of pediatrics, I think I wrote my med school essay on children. Like I knew from the very beginning, I want to be a pediatrician. And so, yeah, my poor husband now, my fiance at the time was like, I think he had to read that essay a few times. But I knew from the very beginning, as I was a child, I would go in the doctor's office and I would 
open now that I know about sterile technique, I wouldn't do this again, but you know, I would open the drawers and look at the tools. And I was always really curious about what was going on in the doctor's office and in the dentist's office. I love going to the orthodontist. I was one of those odd kids. So I think I was just always interested in procedures and science, but it's just interesting, you know, the whole Carol Dweck growth mindset. I just, I didn't grow up in a family that really had any women that were professionals. And I didn't really, really, wasn't really like that interested in hardcore physics and chemistry and biology, like in high school. So I just thought, oh, I cannot do that. But really, I'm telling you, if I can do it, anyone can. So I counsel a lot of women that want to go back and do it. Because if you put your mind to it and you sit in the library long enough, you can do it. <laughs> Yeah, no, certainly it's an interesting path. And, you know, what you just said is interesting because I think people come about, you know, medicine and pediatrics in different ways. Some, you know, come from a family of doctors and nurses and everyone in the medical field. As you were going through it, as you go through med school and residency, you know, you need a lot of support because it's very grueling hours. Who did you look to in terms of support, in terms of mentorship, if you didn't have those people in your close family? Well, I was so lucky because we went to church with a group of orthopedic surgeons that work at the Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children. And many of these physicians are trained at Georgetown or Harvard or Yale, and they do not charge a penny at the hospital for any services. So it's this incredible grant-funded hospital. So just the mindset of those men in general was so unique. I had no idea until I got later on down my path how lucky I was to have them, you know, as parishioners in my church. And I said, hey, I, I think... You know, I got back from teaching. I had a fellowship to teach English in France and I got back and I said, hey, I think, I think I want to go to med school. And they took me seriously from the very beginning. And I think they were testing me out because they said, okay, meet, meet me in the OR at 4.30. I said, 4.30 p.m. or a.m.? <laughs> and, and of course it was a.m. because they're in surgery. And so I knew from that moment, I'm like, all right, I really, I think I really want this because I got up and I made it on time. They were really helpful to me. And then also Dr. Herring and Dr. Roach, I have to call them out. Also, my, my family was super excited for me. They just didn't really have the, you know, the experience, but they were absolutely, you know, the wind beneath my wings more than anyone else. I just didn't really have a model in my own family to, you know, replicate. So I found some. And of course, you know, I'm not a surgeon and I'm not in orthopedics, but it didn't really matter. I think it was just getting in the clinic and like the follow. I love their follow ups, you know, so that told me I really like clinical medicine. And I love hearing about kids, dogs names and their favorite teacher and their favorite color. So it's like, OK, duh, you're a pediatrician right there, you know. <laughs> I think so. And truly, as someone who thought she was going to go into pediatrics and then did, how did your expectations stack up to what became a reality in terms of your early days in pediatrics? I have to imagine there were some days that, you know, you wanted to go back to France and enjoy the French lifestyle <laughs> instead of being in the hospital on call. Well, yes. I always say I have a few nieces that are going into medicine and I always just say, oh, I would always do it again. And it's such a privilege. I mean, we, we have to remember what a privileged medicine is. We have people and their most vulnerable moments, especially new mothers in pediatrics, sharing with us their greatest fears and maybe telling us things that they're not telling their best friend or their sister or their mother because they just, they don't want anyone to know they feel this way. And so that never got old for me, not for one minute. And getting to deliver babies in med school and then and getting that side of peds, I just always thought it was just, you know, a little miracle every time. So for me, I was always so engaged and riveted, but yes, I mean, residency and med school, med school was fine because I didn't have any kids yet. I was nine months pregnant when I graduated med school. So that's when kind of the slope increased for me in terms of the just difficulty of managing a new baby and my schedule and things like that. So yeah, there were times, I think my intern year, 
I was pregnant with my second child during my intern year. I mean, can you say how not to do it? You know, I mean, I would never advise that to anyone. It was a little bit of a surprise, but that was rough because I was super morning sick. There were times definitely when I remember one time in particular, got down on my knees in our hallway. I had gotten home really late and I had to be there really early the next morning and I was morning sick. And then I had my other toddler at home and I know my mom was there helping us, but she was she was just incredible helping out when I was on, in fact, NICU, we just talked about NICU and she just said, well, you know, why don't you just quit? And I sat there for a minute and I was like, I am not going to quit. I haven't quit anything in my whole life. It was like just what I needed to keep going. So there were several times when I think I didn't feel like I had any more fuel left. And for me, really my faith is what carried me through. I, I went on a retreat at one point, one of my attendings let me miss one day of rotations to go on this retreat. And it just was, it was just what I needed. It was just what the, what the doctor ordered in terms of staying in. And so that was during residency. But yeah, once I did that, I was, I had one little trick mentally that I did for myself. I took an outfit of my son's. He was born my second year. So when he was 18 months, I would be done. And so I just took a little outfit of that size, you know, the little thing at Target that says like 18 months on the top, the little square color thing. And I took it back in my closet and I said, okay, when he wears that, when I can stick him in that, he was actually on like 50% on the growth chart. So he really did wear that at 18 months. But when he put that on, I knew that I would be done. And so I, I put him in that one night and we went out to dinner and I was done and I like burst into tears. (laughs) putting it on him. But I was just so relieved because it was a mental game to finish uh, with two toddlers. And my husband worked and traveled also. So it wasn't like I had somebody at home, like really keeping the trains running on time. I had to hire those people. So I ended up hiring a really great nanny and we would work on meals and laundry and, you know, all kinds of things. We didn't really have, I think I had a smartphone at the very end of my residency, but I couldn't even really text her. So it was a little complicated, Josh, but I made it. And I, you know, if anyone's listening that's having trouble with this, you can always reach out to me because my, my sort of joy is paying that forward and helping people. And that's why I started my podcast too. You know, surely from my mistakes or misgivings, someone can, can benefit from it. So. And we'll talk about your podcast and we'll certainly link it in the, the show notes. You know, now looking back at it, you know, certainly chaotic time or periods of your life. But now that you look back on it, do you think that having children has sort of, you know, reshaped the way you think about, you know, pediatrics in terms of treating your patients? I don't have children, but I hear from my friends that do that, you know, when you have children and now you're taking care of children, it really does reshape the way you think about, you know, taking care of these patients. A hundred percent. You know, I think before you have children, you have the book knowledge and you can read and you can be an aunt or uncle and you can be around babies. But until you physically go through childbirth and breastfeed, I mean, I just think that helped me so much counseling moms. It also made me think about the big picture more and less, you know, really just makes you less judgmental because you realize like, even with the education I have and the knowledge I have, you know, one of my kids, in fact, my little son that was born during my second year, he had ear infections for months on end. And, you know, and I'm a pediatrician, so it's like sometimes some babies are just prone to that and it wasn't anything I was doing. And and to have a mom come in with that frustration, I'm like, oh, I totally understand because I'm on call at work and at home. And yeah, I feel like having four children was an absolute gift because talk about just focusing on the big picture because there's some serious chaos there. But the biggest 
take home for me with multiple children is that how different every child is. And it's really not about, you know, all my children have the same mother and the same father, and they're all very different. And so it helped me to encourage parents, you know, don't take credit for your children's failures or their successes, you know, just know that you're doing the best you can. And they do have a temperament and they do come stamped out with certain characteristics. And there's not a lot you can do about that, but be reactive in a way that is appropriate for that child. So, you know, I always say to parents too, and this is something I do with my own kids is like, think of your child, like you want to date them. And that may sound really weird, but what I mean by that is, you know, my sons are really into lacrosse and I never knew anything about lacrosse, but you know what? I know a lot about lacrosse now because I want to spend time with them and I want to be interested in what they're interested in. And so whatever it is, whatever your child is interested in, try to, you know, engage yourself in that realm to really show interest in them. And I think that's another thing as a mom that I've learned is, you know, I'm not that into sitting around watching sports, but if I want to hang out with my husband and my three boys, well, I'm going to be watching a whole lot of sports. I'm going to be watching the World Series. I'm going to be watching the NCAA tournament. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Guaranteed every year like clockwork. And so I've had to, you know, I've had to get used to that. So I think being a mom just makes you more flexible, being a parent, and makes you appreciate other people's, you know, struggles because you have your own. Today's episode is brought to you by Mama Bear Organics. Soothe those you love naturally. When you or a loved one feel under the weather, your instinct is to support them in the most natural way. Artisanally made by hand in small batches, Mama Bear uses only organic ingredients. Their first product is a lemon and ginger lollipop to help those who suffer with motion sickness and vertigo. Made with organic and non-GMO lemon, honey, and ginger. Ginger has long been used as an alternative medication to prevent motion sickness. It's believed that ginger gets its medicinal properties from gingerol, the main bioactive component in ginger. It may act as a novel agent in the prevention and treatment of motion sickness. Lemons give off an incredibly refreshing scent. The smell alone can help ward off nausea for some people. They contain neutralizing acids which form bicarbonates, compounds that relieve nausea and queasy stomachs. Lemons also contain tannins that dry out excessive saliva in your mouth, helping to relieve nausea. Soraya Benitez, the founder, has suffered with motion sickness all her life. It was in part the driver behind the company. Mama Bear organic products are organic, non-GMO, dairy-free, free of dyes and preservatives, and great for on the go. Throw some in your bag and purse before your road trip this spring and summer. And if you purchase today, use the code SPRING15 for 15% off. That's S-P-R-I-N-G-1-5 for 15% off. Visit Mama Bear Organics at mamabearusa.com. That's M-O-M-M-A-B-E-A-R-U-S-A dot com. Now back to the show. My grandmother had four boys. My dad was one of them. And I'm sure she could relate to that, that, you know, maybe she wasn't into sports so much, but having her children, her boys go through baseball and soccer and, and all of the sports. Now she, she was forced to become a fan. (laughs) By osmosis. And Josh, I even talk in sports analogies. I mean, I do it all the time, even on my podcast. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's happened to me? In fact, when I was at home and what I was talking in some baseball analogy and my aunt was like, have you gotten really into sports? And it was so funny because I hadn't even realized it. So yes, I love that your grandmother also just, if you can't beat them, join them. So I agree. Exactly. And you mentioned your podcast, the Paging Dr. Mom podcast. You also are relatively new to podcasting. Tell us why you decided to start a podcast and what your experience has been thus far. 
Right. Well, I'll tell you about kind of a disruption I had that sidelined me a little bit because I'm not practicing clinical medicine right now. I ended up was the medical director of a large program called CHEF, Culinary Health Education for Families. And it's a wonderful organization helping children and families learn to cook together and in effect, you know, changing their diet and the way they eat. We went at it from a what to do and how fun it could be versus a what not to do perspective. And so I had the joy of being the founding medical director of that program and helping. It was almost like a little small business because we had to come up with a name and a logo and, you know, all the fun things you get to do when you're starting something. And at the same time, we were remodeling our home and I was hosting my, if you think of the movie, my big fat Greek wedding, that's my family, but Italian, and they're all really into food and the food business. And I was hosting them for Thanksgiving. So you can see my plate getting fuller and fuller. I was, you know, like you, you just finished residency in your fellowship. I mean, you can just, the prize for winning the pie eating contest is more pie. The better you are at what you do being busy, you just take on more of it. I did that to a certain point and my body finally just said, no mas. And I got EBV for the second time I had a relapse. Josh, I kind of kept going and I thought, you know, I'm going to be fine. I've had this before. I just need to rest a little bit more. And at one point I wasn't even able to lift my head off the pillow and get my kids to school. And I actually didn't even know that my diagnosis yet. I just thought I was kind of tired. So I went to my doctor and I said, you know, I don't mean to joke around about this, but I either have cancer or EBV. Can you just draw some blood? And, you know, we're pretty frank with each other. She said, if you have EBV, you know, I owe you a Coke. And so she's like, okay, I owe you a Coke. You know, I had EBV. I was like, oh, I was so relieved. I thought that's no big deal. Well, I really never got better. So I ended up with SEID, which is a form of chronic fatigue. It's called systemic exertional intolerance disorder. Hopefully doctors are listening. I'll, I'll put that out there. SEID is basically characterized by you can feel better, but when you exert yourself a certain amount, you kind of crash for like two or three days. And so I still kind of have that, whether it's over-exercising or a big, you know, when I took my daughter to college, it was a 22-hour road trip and we moved her in the dorm, drove back and I crashed for like three days. So at any rate, I ended up finally wrapping up my research. I had a research project going on. I was the PI. I wrapped up my work at the program and I said, hey guys, just let me take the summer off. Don't pay me. I want to see if I can just get better with by nothing on my calendar. Well, lo and behold, Nothing changed after that. So I ended up just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break, a permanent break. My four kids were at home. My daughter was a senior at that point. So it was just a good time to be at home. And then COVID hit. I mean, that was like a whole nother batch of to-dos and busyness at home. So I really wasn't resting very much with four kids and my husband working and going to school from home for, you know, however many months that was. I think it was about 18 months or maybe a little bit less depending on the school and the job, but it was a lot. So... By the time I was kind of ready to go back and do something, my team had been furloughed and I could have gone back, but I probably would have ended up practicing clinical medicine. And I had already really moved on from that. I'm board certified, but I had really already done all this entrepreneurial fun stuff, the museum exhibit and this program. So I mean, I just had that creative entrepreneurial bug in me and decided that from my sort of struggle and disruption, maybe I could help other people. And I honestly kind of prayed about it and was like, okay, what is the best use of my time and my experience? I felt like I could reach more patients by helping doctors than I could reaching out to patients anymore. And so my podcast is called Paging Dr. Mom. And it's really for moms who feel like they're on call 24 seven. 
a lot of moms listen to it that aren't doctors because I think every mom feels like they're on call 24 seven. But really what it's been, Josh, is a place for women to come and take off their armor and really come. I mean, I have a signature question. It's what's your paging doctor mom moment? And it's kind of like, what was your, like something's got to give moment when you realized that work and home collided and something had to change. And women come in that are very accomplished and heads of programs or have been authors. And they tell a story about one of their darkest moments or a time when they dropped the biggest ball on their family. And we laugh about it because it's always a great story. The worse the drop ball, the better story is. So it's kind of a place for women to come and share that. And what's been fun is women have been like, oh, you think that's bad? Listen to what I did. And, you know, all of a sudden there's this collective of women who are sort of never allowed to take off their armor, who are forming a community by sharing how hard this is to juggle motherhood and medicine. And so I didn't even know what it would become. I didn't even really understand it. But, you know, sometimes you have an idea and a feeling and you just move forward. And that's really what I did. I really didn't have a hard and fast plan of what it would become. But as I started talking to women, it was so obvious how needed it was and what a great release it could be. And and this theme of sort of like, oh my gosh, I have it all. Now can I give some of it back? You know, literally like, can I give just a few pieces of it back? You know, I love parts of it. I don't love other parts of it. Anyway, it's been a blast and I've learned so much from the other women and hopefully women listening are just feeling like they're not alone, you know, and I felt pretty alone and having a chronic illness as a physician. And you know, as well as I do, when you hear the word chronic fatigue syndrome, you're like, oh brother, you know, this is going to be a doozy patient, you know, <laughs> like, oh, myalgia. Oh, you know, and we've all thought that at some point. But when you have that diagnosis yourself, it's just like, ugh, you know, you feel kind of alone. Like, is anyone even going to believe me that I'm really sick? I had all kinds of crazy stuff. Like I was diagnosed with TB and Lyme disease. And I have had more labs run on this body than I care to talk about. But once I sorted through it, it really ended up with kind of this nothing diagnosis. And it was so unsatisfying. So I think to answer your question in a very circuitous way, I wanted to help other people who felt alone and that they were sort of this accomplished professional woman that was a mother, and maybe they hit a wall. And I felt like the best thing that I could do is be vulnerable and share my story so that other people would share theirs. And then before you know it, we've got all these women helping other women. I really love that. I think the key word there is community, like you said, that you set out to help other people and you create this community of people helping others. And like you said, you didn't know where it was going to go. But when you're able to create that community of sharing and support, then it's naturally going to go in the direction it needs to, which I think is awesome. Thank you. It's been such a blast. And people have been so generous. I mean, it's just, it's amazing who will come on, you know, just Instagram alone creates this sort of playing field of people who are like-minded and you know that's how you and I connected so it's been really neat to use the technology for good and that has been just a, a total treat and I've been so grateful so thank you so much for asking absolutely in one of your recent episodes and I would assume you didn't have to go through Instagram for this one but I'm not sure it was your four kids you recently <laughs> had them on the episode what was that experience like speaking with your own children about their experience having a doctor mom Right. Well, I can only tell you, I mean, imagine having not a one for a two for a three for, but a four for, you know, when you have four siblings in the same clinic visit, it was like having a four for in a very small studio. So it was a total circus. I mean, talk about editing. I had to edit out candy wrappers and snickering and 
somebody was playing memes on their phone. And I mean, they were so cute though. You know, I kind of gave them carte blanche, tee off on mom moment. And I said, you guys can say whatever you want. I just want to hear from you about things that I think I did wrong or things that you think are like kind of a disadvantage of having a mom for a doctor. Cause I thought it'd be fun for other doctor moms to hear this and kind of like my podcast. I really didn't have much of a plan. In fact, this was the paging doctor mom moment. I had a guest cancel at the last minute and all my kids just happened to be in town and available. So I said, okay, everybody get in the car. Well, first of all, would you be willing to do it? And they said, yes. And they started cracking up. I'm like, Oh, Oh brother. Like, what is this going to be? Like? I mean, I felt like they were going to punk me, you know? And then they all got in the car. We got up to the studio because I use the studio and we all got in there. And what happened was I kind of asked them like, you know, what, what were the worst parts of having a mom as a doctor or what things do you remember happening that went wrong? And they thought it was so funny. I mean, all the stories were like, like the ones who didn't remember the older ones stories, they were so entertained by it. And then the Older ones were like, oh yeah, that was awful, but it was so funny. And so what it ended up being was really about mom guilt, which I didn't plan. And I didn't realize how much mom guilt I still felt because, you know, I was working 80 hours a week with two of my kids and about 45 or 45 to 60 with the other two. And it just relieved me of all my mom guilt because either they didn't remember or they thought it was funny. Those were the take-homes. And if anything, I think it helps working moms realize that having kids that have to kind of fend for themselves creates a sort of self-efficacy that you can't create when you're hovering over them and you're there all the time. And if they forget something, you bring it to them. And then of course I give them, you know, like a free one or two free passes a year for stuff like that. But, you know, in the end, I hope that it reassured working moms and doctor moms that it's all going to be okay. Your worst drop ball is going to be your best family story. And your kids really will respect you for helping other people. So I didn't, I didn't plan any of that. I mean, that would have been self-serving had I planned it that way. <laughs> That's kind of what, kind of what I got out of it. So it was, it was like a gift to me really to have them on. But thank you for bearing with that episode if you listen to it. <laughs> I encourage everyone else to listen to it and paging Dr. Mom podcast. And truly, my last question to you yes, is, sir. you know, you've provided a lot of advice for the listeners up to this point, but I'll ask you for one more piece of advice for okay. those in our audience who are interested in doing what you do in terms of, you know, whether that's culinary health, whether that's pediatrics, whether that's starting their own podcast, what advice can you give for them? Well, I think one thing that is really powerful is think about what people ask you for advice on. What do you love giving advice on? What do you love talking to people about? What do people always come to you about? What is the common thread that people often ask you about, ask you advice for? And I think sometimes when we have a superpower like that, we don't realize that it's valuable and that we can actually do that for our work, for a hobby, and that other people can benefit from it. If you can try to focus on, I think the mindset is always like, well, what I really want to do is like be a beekeeper. Let's just an example, a hypothetical, but I've got to earn my paycheck and do this other thing. And I'll just, I'll do that in, in, in 10 years or something. I would try to sidestep that a little bit and put, you know, change the percentage of 90% what you have to do and 10% what you want to do, and then make it 20% what you want to do and 80% what you have to do and keep trying to shift that percentage in a way that you can monetize what you love to do. I don't monetize the podcast at this point at all, really. I'm just kind of learning and 
trying to help people. And I'm hoping to go into coaching in the future. So I think it'll, it'll lead to that. So you don't always have to have the plan all the way figured out. You can just start putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward with something you absolutely love. Because when you light up and you have passion around something, the better word to me is like when you geek out about something, you know, when you really geek out about something, people enjoy listening to you and they enjoy hearing from you and they enjoy having advice from you. So the more you can tap into your, what you geek out about and focus on that and serve other people with that, I just think it's great for everyone. So, and not to mention, you're going to have a great time too. Absolutely. It's great advice, Julie. It's been great having you on. I love learning about your journey and your work. So Dr. LaBarba, thank you for joining us on the Doctors Are People 2 podcast. Thank you, Dr. Josh. This was an honor to be here and I can't wait to listen to your future episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Doctors Are People 2 podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to share it with your friends and family. Follow us on our Instagram page at Doctors Are People 2 Podcast. Do you have a question or a comment on the show? Maybe a guest recommendation? Direct message us on our Instagram page. Until next time, this has been the Doctors Are People 2 Podcast. Take care.